Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. A spiritual lift that God wishes for all of us as we have our daily duties and our spiritual growth is encouragement. In our nature, we are bound to face discouragement and distress. Uh, No one can be exempt from this. No one is above this. Uh, Because everyone in this room has some worries. Everyone in this room has some trials. And everyone has a time of misperception and imagination. As we face this reality in life, there should definitely be a firm understanding that God desires to encourage you and I. When he was destined for Joshua to take the Israelites over the Jordan River, God made sure that Joshua was encouraged by Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 38, the Bible says, But Joshua, the son of Nun, withstanded before thee, he shall go in thither, encourage him, encourage him. For he shall cause Israel to inherit it. I mean, can you imagine the shoes that uh, Joshua had to fill? I mean, this was uh, uh, a big shoes to fill. It was uh, uh, the role of Moses, the leadership role of Moses. And many times he was reminded uh, by God to fulfill the commandment of Moses. I'm sure the pressure was very great, and the new generation was now looking toward Joshua, and the older generation generation has passed on, and I'm sure there was a, a time of loneliness. I mean, there was only one person that he kind of grew up and was in the camp together for those 40 years. It was really Caleb, and he didn't really have anybody from the older generation left, and I'm sure he faced some loneliness and little discouragement, but uh, uh, our God wanted to make Make sure that Joshua was encouraged all the way through as he was heading toward the promised land. You see, it's in the heart of God to encourage us. David had lost his family and his men's family to the Amalekites. Ziklag, where his family and his men's families were dwelling, and, and the city was burned, and their families were taken captives. And so everyone's discouraged, and everyone's distressed, and Everyone feels a little hopeless. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, in verse 6, And David was greatly distressed, for people spake of stoning him. Not a very good situation when people want to kill you. And especially the men that he knew and the people that he surrounded himself with and, and went through thick and thin. And for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, and every man for his sons and for his daughters. And what a terrible situation. His own men turning against him, and this had to be discouraging. But David found the haven of encouragement, and by God, and the Bible records in the last portion of that same verse, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Situation was in every way grave, and the situation seemed very hopeless. and And his homes were born, uh, their homes were burnt down, and and nobody was there. It was a desolate situation. But thank God, he found the haven of encouragement through his God, and because David knew that God wanted to encourage him. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, this is a simple fact of the matter. We will enter discouragement time to time. That's the fact of the matter. But we need not to stay there. 
Everyone in this room will face some discouragement like David, and I'm sure Joshua in some time in his life. But we do not need to stay in discouragement. God does not wish for you to stay there. God does not wish for me to stay there, but there is a foe who does. I heard a story on a particular day. The devil advertised that he was going to put his tools up for sale. On the date of the sale, the tools were placed for public inspection, each tool being marked with the sale price. There were a treacherous lot of implements, and there was hatred, there was envy, there was jealousy, there was deceit, there was uh, lying, and there was pride, and so on and so forth. And laid apart from the rest, and uh, 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 in every way placed in a special area, There was a harmless-looking tool. It was well-worn and priced very high. And uh, one of the shopper asked, pointing to the item, what is the name of this tool? The devil replied, that is discouragement. Now, why have you priced it so high, the shopper asked, because it is more useful to me than the others. I can pry open and get inside a man's heart with that. When I cannot get near him with my other tools, once I get inside, I can make him do what I choose. It is badly worn because I use it on almost everyone, since very few people know that it belongs to me. You know, devil knows our weaknesses, and one of our weaknesses is discouragement. He wishes for us to stay there, stay in self-pity, and stay in unbelief, stay in doubt, stay in depression, and stay in anxiety. And our God, in His infinite understandings, knows of this. And in the time of discouragement, He wishes to give us rest and renewal. But the foe, the devil, wants us to stay there. I wonder whom you would choose in your time of discouragement. Would you choose... The devil's communication of self-pity and even maybe self-worth and pride. Or would you go to Jesus Christ for his grace and for his encouragement? I hope you choose our Savior, Jesus. I hope in every way that you recognize that God is the one that could let you up, and God is the one who has a solution, and God is the one who is under control. Oh, let's not stay in discouragement, my friend. Let us find encouragement and move on from discouragement. There is a mount called, called Oreb in the Bible. God uniquely placed many people in this mount for renewal and encouragement. And this particular place is actually called the mountain of God. In Exodus chapter 3, if you look on the screen, the Bible says in verse 1, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. You know, Moses and Israel, after the exiting Egypt, uh, came to this place as well. And this was a place where Moses met with God in the burning bush there. And this was a place that was called the mountain of God. And this was a very special place where God met with his people and with his men. Oh, this was a place where they were provided with water, the Bible says in Exodus 17. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock and Oreb. And thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. You see, this was a place of provision. 
a place where people could be encouraged and, and find rest and also and quench their thirst through water. And this was a place where they were provided with statutes and judgments as well. It wasn't just a physical provision, but it was a spiritual provision. In Malachi 4.4, Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Oreb, for all Israel with the statutes and judgment. So this was a place of provision, not of the physical, but also the spiritual. God communicated his laws, his statutes, and his uh, desire and judgment for the nation. So in every way, this was a special place where people met with God and they were provided for. However, as they were encouraged by God from this place called Oreb, his perfect plan was not to stay in Oreb. He wanted to see them. He wanted to provide for them. He wanted to be there for them and be encouraged in Mount Horeb. But God says, no, don't stay there too long. I have other plans for you. I want you to move on. Now I've encouraged you from your discouragement. Let's get out of discouragement. Let's get out of Oreb as well. And let's do something. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6, the Bible says, The Lord our God spake unto us in Oreb, saying, Here's a Moses rehearsing what went on, and he hath dwelt long enough in this mount. He said, Hey, you've been here too long. And I've encouraged you, I provided for you, I gave you statues and judgments, and I gave you my, the desires of my heart. Now I, I want you to know that you do not need to stay here, you need to go. And the Bible says, turn you and take your journey and go into the mountain of Amorites and to all the places nigh thereunto in the plains and the hills and the vales and the south and by the seaside to the land of the Canaanites and unto Lebanon and unto the great river, the river of your fate is. Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give unto them and to their seed after them. Yes, God wishes to encourage and provide for us in the place of this institution as he did in the wilderness for the Israelites. But he does not wish for us to stay there. He wants us to move on. Yes, he wants to be encouraged, but he has other things for us to do. And uh, I believe that when we stay in Mount Horeb too long, I believe that we tend to abuse the grace of God. And this was the same place where the calf was built. And this was the same place where they tempted the Lord. And this was in every way a place where people dwelt long enough and, and they were testing God rather than trusting God. And I want to encourage you, as much as you are uh, 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 finding encouragement in the Lord, yes, you will find it, my friend. But as you find it, you need to move on and, and do the will of God for your life. And also see the great big plan for your life as well. I think about Elijah was in the same shoe. He was in discouragement. And he went to Mount Horeb. And God was very gracious to him. And if you look at verse 7 in the screen, and, and, uh, uh, and the angel of the Lord came again and the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat, forty days and forty nights unto Oreb, the mountain of God. So, how many days and how many nights? Forty days and forty nights. He was in Mount, he was in, going toward Mount Oreb there. And God provided for him. God gave him meat. God gave him drink. God gave him water. God gave him that encouragement that he needed. And, and of course, Elijah at this time was suicidal. I mean, he was 
really, really discouraged. By the way, what was he doing before this time? He was slaying the prophets of Baal, wasn't he? If you ever read the story of Elijah before this time, he was uh, 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 praying uh, 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 to God for a fire to come down to uh, uh, burn the altar and, and uh, also uh, uh, prove to the Baal prophets, the false idols, that he is true, not the God of the land. And of course, God answered that prayer. But he faced discouragement because one queen named Jezebel was seeking his life. And he was slaying the prophets of Baal, but now he is running, uh, uh, and he was uh, in every way scared and faced discouragement because one lady named Jezebel was after his life. And God says in Mount Horeb, as he fed him, as he provided for him, as he tried to encourage him, God says to Elijah, what doest thou here, Elijah? In simple words, in our modern English, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Why are you still here? Now, God is very gracious. I mean, he could have just put his foot down and said, hey, why don't you just move on on the very first day? When Elijah said, you know, I'm going to just die, and uh, why don't you just take me home, Lord? God could have just been very harsh with Elijah. But he kept them for 40 days and 40 nights. Was very long-suffering, very, very patient with him. Was very gracious in Mount Horeb. But after those days are gone, God says, you're still here. Why are you here? Why are you staying in discouragement? I try to encourage you, but you're still here. God is saying, let's move on. God reminds Elijah of some truth so that he may move on. And what are some reminders that God gives us when we are in discouragement? I want to briefly share with you three spiritual reminders that our Lord gives us. Number one, he reminds us of his words. If you're taking notes. He reminds us of his words in verse 11. And he said, go forward and stand up on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and by a great and strong wind rent the mountains. I mean, can you imagine mountains being rent, mountains being torn apart? I mean, Elijah viewed all this and breaking pieces of rock before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? What are you still doing here? Sometimes in our discouragement, we're looking for some phenomenon, some signs, some miracles. And, uh, but what God wants us to remind us okay, is that his words are enough. His words, his still small voice is enough because faith cometh by hearing and hearing. 
by the word of God. And ladies and gentlemen, in our discouragement, we need more faith in his word, not signs or things. Our Savior tells us, uh, 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 I'm, I'm sorry, tells the Pharisees who are looking for signs in Mark 18, verse 12, and, and he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, there shall no sign be given unto this generation. God says, I am weary, I am tired. You seeking for sign or some phenomenon. Hey, I have preached to you my word. I have shared with you about what I will do on the cross. I will die on the cross and I will be buried. I will be raised again. What other signs do you need? Don't you just trust my words? I think about the centurion who faced discouragement because his faithful servant died. And he asked for Jesus to come. Or his friends, really, in every way, encouraged Jesus. This man was a good man. This man, in every way, tried to help the Jews and, and try to help the poor. And, and uh, would you help him? Would you go to him? So Jesus is on his way. But then uh, the centurion sends another servant and said, Hey, Lord, would you not come? Don't come. I'm not worthy to take you. Who am I to say where to go and where to be? Just speak your words and my servant will be healed. Oh, in that time of discouragement, he said, just speak your words, Lord. I know it is true. I know it is powerful. You don't need to be here. You don't need to come to me. I just trust your word. And Jesus says, I have not seen a greater faith in Israel than this man. You see, ladies and gentlemen, what you need in your discouragement is the word of God. You don't need another sign. You don't need another phenomenon. You trust your word. I mean, you trust his words first, and then you expect to see what God can do. And uh, many people are always trying to live by sight and not by faith. Elijah saw the wind breaking the rocks in pieces, but God was not in the rocks. Elijah saw the earthquake, but God was not in the earthquake. And Elijah saw the fire, but God was not in the fire. And after all those, Elijah hears, the, hears God's still small voice. And you see, Elijah ex- experienced and, and saw for himself the great miracle of God. And he saw the fire come down from heaven to dry up all the water and moisture from the altar. And the Baal of prophets were proven wrong. He saw the clouds roll over after he prayed seven times where the land faced great drought and, and they saw great rain pour down. So Elijah saw and experienced two miraculous elements being controlled by God, fire and water. And what was God teaching Elijah in Mount Hor- was that you don't need another miracle. You don't need another phenomenon. No, you just need my word. And they're equally powerful and reliable. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 through 19, and the, and the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard, and we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, wherein ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shall in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your heart. What is Peter saying there? He says, I heard the word of God in Mount Transfiguration. 
When Jesus was uh, uh, turned to his glory, and James, John, and Peter was there. And uh, Peter, of course, says something very wrong. And he said, oh, let's build a tabernacle for Moses and Elijah and you. And then God says, just hear my son. Okay, just listen to my son. But what Peter was saying here, in application, I heard God's word. I heard him audibly. But he compares it to the written word. The sure word of prophecy. He says, what I heard in Mount Transfiguration is equally powerful as this book right here. That's what he's saying. And ladies and gentlemen, you don't need an audible answer from the Lord. We have his answer here. You, do you trust this book? Do you trust his words? That's what Peter was saying. You don't need to be in Mount Transfiguration uh, to know if he really cares, to know if he's really powerful, to know if he uh, uh, means what he says. No, you have it right here. A sure more word of prophecy. You have it right here. That's what Peter is saying. Take heed to the word of God. Oh, his words work inwardly too, he wrote, as unto a light that shone in a dark place until the day dawn, uh, and the day star rise in your hearts. You see, in our discouragement, no one knows our, uh, uh, I'm sorry, in our discouragement, no one knows our discouragement more than we do. And that's what we rule in our hearts, right? That's what we say all the time, right? But did you know that God knows better than you know yourself? And the word of God will reveal that to you. He will reveal what's in your heart. Oh, the Bible continues to say also in, uh, uh, this is a great scripture, in Hebrews 4, 12, for the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the divine and sound of the soul and spirit, and a joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It also says in the next verse, Oh, by the way, you know, the word of God is powerful than any two-edged sword. It's powerful than any weapon that this world could create. And, uh, you know, uh, 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 let us fear the one who could destroy body and soul. And there are people who could destroy the body, but there is a great judgment at hand, and, and that is a spiritual judgment, my friend. And let us recognize the fact that God works in the spiritual, and the greater power is in the spiritual. And God works with his word, and he wants to work within your heart. Oh, I think about verse 13. It says, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, for all things are naked and open unto to the eyes of him with whom we have to do in your discouragement you might be thinking god doesn't care oh he does care and he knows exactly exactly what's in your heart he doesn't have any doubt he doesn't kind of scratch his head i wonder what's wrong with me i wonder what's going on in his heart no he knows exactly what i think what i ponder and where i'm staying in my heart and as you mean, that's the same thing with you All of us are equally naked and open to God Almighty. No one can hide from the Lord, God's people say. No heart, no mind can be hidden from God Almighty. You see, God's word will always reveal. He will reveal what is the issue, what is the problem. And mainly it's not the our situation, it's really our imagination, and it's our doubt, it's our unbelief. 
That is the problem. And that's what God was trying to tell Elijah. Hey, would you still trust my voice? Would you just recognize what I say? What are you still doing here, Elijah? You don't need to be here. Just trust what I say. Go off from this place. Get out of this place. This is how we get out of discouragement, my friend. It's from God's word and trusting his word. Not by how we feel, not by what we see, not by what we expect hourly. No, it's by the hearing of God's word. And let's remind ourselves of God's word so that we may get out of discouragement. Number two, secondly, we remind us of his sovereignty. In verse 14 down to uh, uh, verse 17, the Bible said, and he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, and uh, because the children of Israel have forsaken that covenant, thrown down thy altar, and slain thy prophet with the sword. And even I only, look how many times he says I, I, even I only, am left, and they seek to seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, <coughs> Go, be turned on the way, the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazel to be king over Israel. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. Elijah, the son of Shephat of uh, Abel uh, Meholah shalt thou anoint him to be the prophet in thy room and it shall come to pass that him that escaped the sword of his heel shall Jehu slay and him that escaped the, from the sword of Jehu uh, shall Elisha slay Elisha told the Lord in Horeb you know Israel is seeking for my life and Jezebel the house of Ahab is seeking for my life and uh, I have been very passionate for you God and uh, and I'm the only one left there's nobody else and uh, 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 in every way what are you doing Lord and uh, and God answers him, answers him with three commandments. I want you to anoint, I want you to anoint, I want you to anoint. I want you to anoint three people. I want you to anoint Hazel to be the next king of Syria. And then next, I want you to anoint Jehu, the next king of Israel. And then I want you to anoint Elisha. Not Elijah, not himself. Elisha, who will be the next prophet of Israel and taking your place. So he is to anoint how many people? That's how God answers Elisha in his discouragement. Because Elijah was saying, it's not fair. It's not fair. And what Elijah was saying is that they are doing whatever they want. Israel is doing whatever they want. And I'm the only one left. And look at me. They're going to take my life too. Now what's going to happen, Lord? He is questioning God's sovereignty. He is questioning God's control. So God says, Elijah, I have everything under control. I want you to anoint Hazel. I want you to anoint Jehu. And I want you to anoint Elijah. Now, what are the significance of these three people? I want you to go to your Bibles. To 2 Kings chapter 8. It's not in the slides today. But 2 Kings chapter 8, if you go there. Right after 1 Kings is 2 Kings. Go to chapter 8. Here's Elisha now, who took the place of Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 8. Look what Hazel does, or will do. In verse 11. And he, Elisha now, settled his countenance steadfastly. He was serious. Until he was ashamed, and the man of God wept, he cried. And Hazel said, why weepeth my Lord? Why are you crying? And he answered, because I know the evil. He's talking to Hazel. 
I know the evil that thou wilt do unto the children of Israel. Their strongholds will thou set on fire, and their young men will thou slay with the sword, and will dash your children, and rip up their woman with child. Elijah knew what Ezekiel will do, the king of Assyria. Because Israelites had been uh, 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 spiritually fornicating against the Lord and they were worshiping Baal, they were worshiping other false idols of the land. And God was patient, God was long-suffering. But God anoints Hazel through Elijah and Hazel will bring judgment down to Israel. And Hazel replies, I'll never do that, but he does so. You see, Elijah said, God, don't you know they have forsaken your covenant? Don't you know your people don't believe in you? Don't you know they're worshiping false idol? I am discouraged about this whole land. I'm discouraged about what I'm doing, who I'm preaching to, who I'm talking to. Don't you know what's going on here? God says, I know exactly what's going on, and the judgment is coming. Why don't you go anoint Hazel? Now, go to your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 33. He had a problem with the house of Ahab, right, Elijah? Because Jezebel was after him. Jezebel was the wife of Ahab. Now, 2 Kings chapter 9, look at verse 33. And uh, he, Jehu, said, throw her, Jezebel, down. So they threw her down, and some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall. Very, very gory scene, and. On the horses, and it tread her underfoot, so the horses tramped upon her. And when he was come in, he did eat and drink, and said, Go, see now this cursed woman, and bury her, for she is king's daughter. And they went in to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull, and the feet, and the palms of her hands. As Jezebel was seeking after Elijah's life, Elijah was discouraged. They seek my life, Lord. And God says, don't worry, I'll take care of Jezebel for you. Don't worry. By the way, did Elijah ever face death? No. He was like Enoch, wasn't he? He translated to heaven in the chariots of fire, the Bible says. So in his imagination, oh, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. But God had a better plan, didn't he? He had a sovereign plan. I will take care of the house of Ahab. Go anoint Jehu. Jehu will do it. Go anoint him. He is sovereign. Now, go to your Bibles to 1 Kings 19. Go back to 1 Kings, please. 19, verse 19. The same book that we were in. 1 Kings 19, 19. So, he, he's supposed to anoint Hazel, king of Syria, who would judge the nation of Israel for their idol worship. And then he's anoint Jehu, who will see to it that Jezebel dies for her wickedness and for her chasing after the man of God. And 1 Kings 19, now verse 19. So he departed thence and found Elijah, the son of Shephat, and was plowing with 12 yokes of oxen before him and with the 12. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle on upon him. Elijah said, Israel has forsaken you. They seek my life. And then he says, I'm the only one left. And God says, don't worry. You're replaceable. <laughs> you are really replaceable. Why don't you go knowing Elijah? By the way, Elijah, what a great servant of God. 
By the way, he was a great, loyal servant of God. Wherever Elijah went, he went to Jericho, a different town, before he translated up to heaven. Elijah said, I'm going to go where you go. I'll be there where you go. He was a very faithful servant to Elijah. What an encouragement that Elijah received because of Elisha. And ladies and gentlemen, don't you dare think that God doesn't know what he is doing. He knows exactly what he is doing. He knows who you need in your life, and he'll bring that person along. And he knows that you're lonely, and he knows that you have this weird imagination of things that is to come that will never come. And and he is sovereign. He'll take care of the future. He'll take care of your life. He'll take care of the sowing and reaping. He'll take care of all the judgment. He'll take care of, of every distress and every discouragement you face. He'll take care of it, my friend. If there is no answer, like we just heard the song a moment ago, if there is no answer, thank God there's Jesus. You don't see anything in front of you, but there is Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our fate, and he knows what he's doing. He is sovereign, my friend. Don't you dare charge him foolishly. Oh, I thank God for Job. He didn't charge him foolishly. He shaved his head and, and uh, uh, put a sack cloud and ashes, and he said, Oh, the Lord has given, and he has taken away. He never cursed God, and even his wife tempted him, won't you curse God and die? And he said, Well, you are speaking like a foolish woman, and uh, God will in every way uh, judge that which is good and also evil and don't you ne- never ever tempt God that way and Job endured and Job kept on going because he knew that God was sovereign and ladies and gentlemen let us make sure we have that same faith today God is sovereign you might be thinking God is not fair God doesn't care God is not working in my life God's not doing anything oh don't test him my friend trust him let's not test him Let's trust him. Let's say that together. Ready? Let's not test him. Let's trust him. Let's say that one more time. Let's not test him. Let's trust him. If there's anything that you could get out of this message today, don't test God. Just trust him. Just trust him. He cares. Number three, reminds us to have selflessness. Reminds us to have selflessness. Verse 18, yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which have not kissed him. Discouragement gets us to say, pity me, poor me, and uh, not to ignore sympathy, my friend, but sympathy, I believe, if you are staying there too long, it becomes very selfish. Elijah said, I am the only one left. Boy, he was wrong. God says, how many thousand? 7,000. Whoa, his perception was very odd, wasn't he? I'm the only one left, Elijah said. Don't you know? Look at me, poor me. And God says, I have 7,000 who had not bowed unto Baal, who had not served other gods. You see, in Elijah's discouragement, Elijah said within himself, this is all about me. That's what he thought. It's all about me. Look at me. I'm the only one left. They seek my life. Israel doesn't care what I say. I proved that God was real. Rain came. Fire came. 
Now they seek my life. There's no revival in the land. But ladies and gentlemen, when we are spiritually encouraged, we will say it's all about God. When you're discouraged, when I'm discouraged, we say it's all about me. But when we are really encouraged by the Lord, we recognize it's all about Jesus. It's all about God. That's why it's a very dangerous thing to stay in discouragement because you become very selfish. By the way, marriage could be that same thing. Insecurity brings distrust. And the wife might have insecurity. And they stay in discouragement. Or the she does. And she starts thinking about her life. She starts thinking about her own welfare and, and hard trials. And nothing wrong with that. But they stay in discouragement. And the family cannot move on. They cannot reach the rock that is higher than theirs. They don't see God. They just see the problems. They just see their imaginations. I remember when I was young, <clears throat> or younger, I'm sorry. And uh, because I'm still young, amen. <laughs> I don't know. I'm only 34. Um, I remember when I was in my 20s, and my dad died when he was like 50. And uh, hey, that's early age compared to a person who dies in the 70s or in the 80s. I thought to myself, you know, I think I probably might have the same issue genetically, and my uncles have diabetes, and I might have the same issue. So, you know, I thought to myself in my 20s, you know, I, I might die at the age of 52. And then I made some decision in a hurry. I made some decision in my discouragement of my own imagination and trying to work out my own plan and my own purpose and my own agenda. I don't want that enough time. I got to get this done. But I realize now how foolish that is or that was. You know, God is in control of my time. I just got to live day to day. I just got to live according to what's in front of me. I've been reading Robert E. Lee, his book on leadership, and uh, a lot of different opinions about Robert E. Lee, but he has a good book about his leadership. Somebody else wrote it. It's not a biography or anything like that. Um, but he had a very, he, he was a born-again Christian, I believe. And uh, he just had to stand for Virginia at the time of uh, the Civil War. And, uh, but uh, one of his admonishment that he gave to his son, Curtis, was, Curtis, don't read novels. Don't read novels. Uh, don't read, you know, fictions. It's going to get you to always Sigh. It's going to get you to always imagine what you don't have. It's going to always get you to imagine what could be next in your life. 
And Robert E. Lee said, Curtis, just live in reality. It's a very good, good counsel from a father to son. And sometimes our imaginations could be carried away too far. And we live in a novel, my friend. We live in movies. We live in imagination. But the Bible says, casting down every imagination, okay, that goes against the knowledge of God. And the knowledge of God is reality, God's people say. What we know in our imagination is It's not reality, to be honest with you. It's really off the chart. It's really off the wall. Our heart is desperately wicked and deceitful, the Bible says. And they gentlemen, we need to get out of self-life and self-imagination and self-goal and self-plan. Let's face reality. Let's look at the book. Let's pray. Let's seek the real God of our hearts, not ourselves. I like Joseph, he did not rely on his imagination. Genesis 50, and Joseph said unto him, Fear not, for I am in the place of God. For as for you, he thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. He says, it's not about me, it's about God. And ladies and gentlemen, that's where we need to move to if you want to get out of discouragement. You have to say within your heart, dear God, I surrender. It's not about me. It's about you. It's not about me. It's about you. We need to come to that place in Mount Horeb.